Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guests today are Ari Bruning and Jason Brown. Ari is the CEO and Jason is Vice President of Communications for Envision Utah. Hello. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having us. Great to have you in today. Uh, EnvisionUtah.org is the website. Let's start at the beginning. When and why was Envision Utah started? Uh, we were born in 1997 when uh, people were looking at the growth in Utah and wondering where it was going to take us. So uh, Governor Levitt and Larry Miller and others were involved in the founding of Envision Utah. And the, the idea was to bring everybody together and have conversations about growth and how we keep Utah a great place to live. So you were started with a politician, but you're not involved in politics directly. Is that correct, Jason? That's correct. Uh, It's a public-private partnership. So it was a a, a collaboration between the government, between a lot of community leaders and business leaders and and others who were just interested in the future. And how do you stay nonpartisan? How do you stay out of politics? Uh, Well, we – first of all, we – bring people from both sides of the aisle together to have these discussions. But also, we're looking forward into the future enough that people are thinking about their values and what they really want. And we find that that just crosses partisan divides. People want the same things. And so it hasn't been that much of an issue to have to deal with. Uh, Do you ever find that maybe you do a study on something and you come up with something that one side doesn't like? Well, uh, if if we get to a point where one side really doesn't like it, we feel like our job isn't done. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, our, our process really relies on people coming together and, and creating a, sort of a consensus plan for the future. You know, if we pick something that's just popular with a small group of people, it's not going to work. And it means that we haven't done our job in really uh, trying to find collaborative solutions. So Ari, maybe you could break it down for us. What is it you do exactly? So we we facilitate conversation. Is that's the root of what we do. So we'll we'll tackle a an issue or a geography, and uh, we we bring all the stakeholders to get together that we can think of who have expertise in the issue or have the ability to actually do something, uh, decision makers and so on. And then we will engage the public as well to ask them what direction do we want to go. And uh, again, the idea is we, we try to find some consensus and uh, get as many people to, to weigh in. And if we have thousands of Utahns saying we want to go this direction, then we have a, a pretty clear mandate. That's where we want to go. And Jason, I've, I've been familiar for a few years with the Utah Foundation. It sounds like you guys are pretty similar. How are you similar? How are you different? Oh, well, they're a good partner with us. We work with the Utah Foundation a lot. Uh, they focus uh, primarily on doing research, research that we often will use and rely mm-hmm. on. Uh, but we And we do a lot of research ourselves, but uh, our real specialty is, is taking that research and that knowledge base and saying, okay, based on what we know, on how things are working, on, on um, you know, how the, the economics of a different issues uh, issue works let's uh, let's get everybody together who uh, can help sort of use that information to chart a path for the future so so we we take the information and the research that we do and that Utah Foundation does and and some of our other partners like the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute and we use that information as a foundation for figuring out a plan to deal with the big problems that that come with our growth and that come with uh, just you know growing into the future and looking through your website it looks like you tackle just about every feature of life that there is. Ari, is there is there a, a part of life in Utah that you don't look at? We have not gotten into health care. Okay. All right. That's a <laughs> pretty every, big yeah, piece. Yeah, everything from air quality to education we have gotten into. And um, 
let's talk about some of your projects specifically. I was looking through your website, and you've got so many projects, and I kind of just picked out the ones that I was kind of interested, but I thought maybe the most people would be interested in. Um, and the first one that comes up is Your Utah, Your Future. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Your Utah, Your Future was um, an effort that we did uh, actually about seven years ago now. It was uh, a, an effort to create a long-term strategic plan for, for Utah in 2050s. Basically, a uh, let's create a plan for what we collectively want Utah, Utah to be like in 2050. At the time that we did that, we were looking to nearly double our population between about 2015 and 2050, and, and that brings a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And so we said, all right, let's uh, let's – look at our air quality in 2050. Let's look at our water resources in 2050, disaster resilience, education. Uh, so really we did a big uh, a big breadth of topics. We had 11 different topics and we uh, brought together um, you know, all the experts and, and uh, people that we needed to really understand the challenges and the issues in those topics. And then we got 50,000 members of the public in Utah to weigh in on on different scenarios for the future. And from that, we were able to, to create a, a kind of concrete plan for what 2050 could and should look like, what Utahns want it to look like, and how we get there. And without going too deep, because you know we're talking about data and you can go really, really deep, what's the big picture that you got from that? Well, so we, we kind of boiled everything down into into four cornerstones, and we'll, we'll see if I can remember these four well. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the first is we need to make sure that we build good communities. So we need to have uh, places that have a, a, a walkable core to them um, and that they're connected well by transportation, both roads and public transportation. So that's the first cornerstone. And then the second cornerstone was within those communities, we need to be making sure we're doing things that reduce our emissions and our water use and so forth. So that's the landscaping we use, the cars we drive, those kinds of things. Um, and then uh, we one of the cornerstones has to do with being prepared for the future, and that has to do with education, being well-educated. And I'm blinking on the fourth cornerstone. <laughs> a thriving oh, rural. Oh, a thriving rural Utah. I, I can't I believe I forgot of, that. Yeah, we, I have the advantage of having your website up. There you go. Yeah, so, so we, don't, we have 29 counties in Utah, and we want all 29 of them to thrive. We can't have the Wasatch Front be prosperous and other places not be prosperous. And that brings up kind of an interesting overall point about Utah because there's really kind of two different Utahs. At least, I mean, there's probably a dozen, but there's definitely the the high populated area along the Wasatch Front, and then the rural areas. How do, in general, how do you balance those priorities? Because I'm sure they have different priorities depending on which place you live. That, that's a great question, and that's uh, something that we're dealing with actually right now. We're working with the state on on what we're calling a, a statewide conversation about growth. Uh, Utah overall is growing, but uh, different regions of the state are growing differently. So over the next couple months, we're going to be traveling to um, you know as many different parts of the state as we can to work with local leaders, local uh, community leaders, and, and uh, elected officials to try and uh, and figure out you know what are the different challenges that regions are facing. Some regions are facing the challenge of lots. Lots and lots of people moving in. I, mm-hmm. I think Washington County, for instance, had uh, huge growth in the last couple of years, and and a lot of it's coming from outside of the county. Uh, but other regions, in, like in central Utah, they're they're not seeing the same kinds of growth. And some of those regions want to see more growth, mm-hmm. and some of them uh, don't want you know as much growth, and kind of want to figure out how to preserve uh, what they're doing. So uh, it is a it is a challenge, and there's probably not a single uniform set of strategies that 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 we can say oh, this is what the whole state needs to do. But it's going to take some uh, you know, not sometimes county by county or region by region. Uh, work to figure out what's what's needed in each place. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one that kind of caught my attention was the future of education in Utah. 
Uh, so we, with that, your Utah, your future process that Jason talked about, uh, we got into education for the first time uh, because we'd seen every time we asked Utah, it's one of the most important issues. Education is up there at the top of the list. So we said we, we need to get into that. Um, and so we, you know, we applied our typical process. We brought all the uh, stakeholders together to identify what they thought would move the needle on education. And uh, I was surprised to find that they all agreed on the things that would improve hmm. education in Utah. So we've we've been tackling those uh, five things they all agreed on. So, uh, you know, it starts in the home. So good interactions between the parents and the children in the home to build the brain and get them ready for school. Uh, and then preschool for those who might not get that in the home, especially uh, for those who are at risk. And then uh, all about teachers within the school. And we know a teacher makes a bigger difference than anything else. So we want to make sure we have the, our best and brightest in the classroom. Um, and then we want, we need as many people as we can to go get some kind of education or training beyond high school. And then the, the last thing everybody agreed on was that uh, we need to help those who uh, historically have not done as well in school. So mm. you might need some extra help to overcome barriers and challenges. So we, we've been working on uh, several of those five over the years to see if we can move the needle. And when you do these studies, you, you reach some consensus and you reach some, some goals and, and things that people have in common. How do you then take that and implement it? So uh, the the way it works is that by having the right people at the table who can actually make things happen, they go through the journey and learn together and come to consensus, and then they go forth and do because we don't have the power to do. Right. Um, so the, we have to engage the right people so that they can go forth and make change. And and w- one example that we've given before is uh, the superintendent of Granite School District was in one of our education meetings, and we were talking about uh, teachers and the teacher shortage and the, the need to make sure we're attracting more people into the profession and retaining them. And uh, he left the meeting, and I think it was either that night or the next night he went to his board and said, we need to increase salaries. Mm. And they did that. And it was, it, you know, a lot of other districts followed suit. So one that I kind of think about quite often is disaster resilience. You know, we had an earthquake a couple of years ago and for, for a little while, everybody was talking about emergency preparedness and then it, you know, we kind of become distracted with other things. What did you find out there? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, the, the risk of an earthquake in Utah is probably higher than most people think. Right. <laughs> Geologists predict it's, it's basically a coin toss in the next 50 years whether we're going to have a very large earthquake somewhere along the Wasatch Front. And uh, the predicted devastation is pretty staggering. We're talking deaths that, similar to Hurricanes Katrina or Maria. And uh, so – and beyond the deaths – we could be without water in mm. most of our households on the Wasatch Front for six months or more. Wow. And you, you think of, you know, what do you do if you don't have water? Well, I'm probably moving in with family somewhere else, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then what does that do to our economy and so on? So uh, we've been working with the experts as, as we do and coming up with recommendations. And so we, we've – Landed on a set of recommendations, everything from uh, improving our uh, aqueducts that bring our water into our valleys that cross the fault uh, so that they're more likely to withstand an earthquake uh, to uh, upgrading some of our older schools that are dangerous places to be in an earthquake to uh, helping educate people about a lot of the other buildings that are uh, these older brick buildings are dangerous places to be. So educating people so that we can bring some market force to bear to upgrade as many of those as we can. And then those kinds of topics, how do you keep it top of mind? Because it's not something you think about every day. It's out there. It's, it's going to happen at some point. 
but it's not something we think about every single day. I, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest challenges is figuring out how do we uh, help people recognize the importance of this. Um, disaster resilience is, is a really great example. Um, and on that one, I think um, – what we want to do is create a little bit of a uh, shift in how we think about our disaster risk. Uh, Utahns have a great um, culture of being pr- prepared uh, for right. a short-term response to yeah. disasters. And and so we are working on trying to figure out how do we help shift everyone's thinking to say, okay, we've got to actually take some big community-wide steps to make, uh, to make some improvements before a disaster hits or else uh, we're going to be uh, looking at, you know, long-term problems. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the, the 72 hours or the two weeks after the earthquake aren't our big problem. So, uh, so a lot of it is, yeah, trying to, to educate people on what the actual risks are. Um, and, and we, we uh, run outreach campaigns. For instance, we've had an education campaign where we have you know, ads or try and get some you know, news stories every now and then mm-hmm. about uh, important educational issues. And uh, we, we're hoping to get some, uh, some help from FEMA actually to run some uh, outreach about disaster resilience to help people understand what the risks are and what kinds of things individuals and communities can do. Uh, so, so it's a lot of, of a lot of education, a yeah. lot of you know, education, and trying to to help people understand the the real choices we have, the real you know uh, situation that we're facing. You caught my attention because I've got one of those big blue barrels that I think's fifty gallons of water, and that helps me sleep at night. But that's not going to last six months. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the the good news is we're, we're told by the water districts that after about two weeks they'll find some way to bring Dude, you water, okay. whether that's right. a water truck in the street or whatever it is. But. <laughs> now, speaking of water, water is a huge issue in our state. Um, and you have a couple of different uh, studies that you did, one on the Jordan River and then one on uh, Utah water strategies in general. I know the Great Salt Lake is in crisis. Maybe talk about just water in Utah in general. What have you found out and, and what are the solutions? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say after having gone through that Your Utah, Your Future process where we tackle 11 different topics, the one that I think is the most difficult is water uh, because we have this growing population, uh, limited water supply combined with a uh, climate that appears to be changing where, I mean, just by just by having a hotter temperature, even if we get the same amount of precipitation, that means more evaporation. And so it could be a drought in 20 years when it wasn't a drought 20 years ago with the same amount of precipitation. So I think I think this is going to be a struggle and a challenge, and we're I think we're going to have to learn to use less water, uh, and that's everything from different landscaping in our yards mm-hmm. to uh, uh, smaller yards. We're seeing the market move that direction anyway. Um, lots of things that are going to have to happen. Uh, farmers are going to have to, and they're probably going to need some financial help with this. But they're going to have to install some more waterwise systems and so forth. You know, whole whole host of things. I think we're going to need to do. I've been kind of digging into the Great Salt Lake issue, and it's kind of frightening what could happen if that dries up. It doesn't just mean there will be a big dry area out there, you know, where the the lake was. There's some real hazardous stuff under there, some real danger to the people that live along the Wasatch Front if that happens. I And as I dig into it, I wonder why we're not sounding the alarm a little more loudly that we need to do something and we need to do something now. Is that accurate or is that my perception? You know, I I think that uh, there's been a lot of people who have been working really hard for a long time to try and figure out uh, exactly um, what what needs to be done. It's it's actually uh, from from our perspective, it's it's been kind of nice the last couple of years to see the alarm being sounded a little bit louder that that people are are becoming more aware of the risks that we face. I think it'll make some of the strategies um, or the solutions rather um, a little bit. Um, 
It'll give them a little more energy, make them maybe a little bit uh, easier to for us to to push through. But but I want to tell you when um, back in twenty, I think it was in twenty thirteen, uh, we were asked by Governor Herbert then to uh, to convene the uh, state water or to a team to to uh, create the recommended state water strategy. And it, we were supposed to finish that process in twenty fifteen. Uh, it took until summer of 2017 before mm. we actually finished because because, you know, it, like Ari mentioned, it's it's a real huge challenge. But it was at the same time such a, a cool thing to see people from so many different viewpoints uh, around water. I mean, we had uh, hardcore conservationists. We had, you know, uh, farmers and other we had so many different viewpoints coming. But we were able to ultimately uh, come to a a long, comprehensive set of of, of solutions and, and policy proposals that that everyone in that group agreed on and signed their name to and said, "This is what we need to do." So, uh, yes, we have we have some work cut out for us as a state, as communities, uh, as us as an organization. I think uh, in order to to address the water issue, but we have. Uh, seen people come together. We've seen Utahns come together and find uh, real solutions to these big problems. So uh, there's work to do, but I, I think we'll be able to to figure this out. What would you find out about the Jordan River specifically in the Jordan River Blueprint Jordan River? Yeah, well, well, the so in 2008 was the first time we actually convened people around the Jordan River in the original Blueprint Jordan River, um, and that led to the creation of a Jordan River Commission. Because there were, there are 16 cities along this river. They all have independent jurisdiction and land ownership and so on, three different counties. Mm. And, and so the idea is let's create a commission to help coordinate actions around the river. And that eventually led to the completion of the trail lake to lake. Uh, the, the river is, is cleaner than it was. It's a nicer place to be than it was. We still have more work to do. And so that's why we partnered with the commission again to refresh that vision. And, uh, and we, we heard from the public. Uh, they, they like what's happened. They want to continue that and make it even better. So continue to clean up the water. And by the way, that water comes from every inch of the, of Salt Lake County. So <laughs> every bit of water that falls on a parking lot, for example, ends up in the Jordan River. So they're, they're, that's a big task to, to continue to improve yeah. water quality. Um, they want to see uh, continued improvement of natural areas, um, uh, better maintenance, uh, improved safety, those kinds of things. So the, that blueprint lays out a set of strategies for how to get there. And probably just as big as water is our clean air. What have you discovered about uh, air in Utah, clean air action and implementation? And I know during the pandemic, when everybody was staying home, the air actually got better. Um, so what did you yeah. find out on that front? Well, I think the biggest thing that, that most people don't um, that don't realize, that's kind of a surprise to everyone, is that our air is a lot cleaner today than it was 20 years ago and 25 hmm, okay. years ago. So when Envision Utah first started, this was actually one of the big um, issues that we looked at. And, you know, believe it or not, people even back then said, we want the air to be cleaner. <laughs> so we made some some choices and uh, on, on things that we could do to reduce emissions, things like improving public transportation and making that more accessible and uh, and, and a lot of other things like that. And, and then we were helped in a really big way by improving technology. Cars got much, much cleaner. Hmm. And a car today yeah. uh, uh, even just an average car is so much cleaner than it was uh, you know 20 25 years ago even 10 years ago or five years ago uh, that that really helps improve our air quality the biggest thing that we could do in the short term is to figure out how to get newer cars uh, on the road and it doesn't have to be um, all electric cars but every car is given uh, what's what's called a smog rating and uh, the the higher the smog rating the cleaner the car uh, and so um, the 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 quicker we can get new cars 
on the road, the, the uh, more uh, or the cleaner our air is going to be. So that's some good news that we're moving the right direction on air in Utah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think we'll continue to see more and more vehicles sold that are all electric, which means no tailpipe emissions. Um, and so I, I think over time, this is an issue that's going to just continue to get better. That doesn't mean we don't need to do things. But. Right, right, right. And in fact, our, our biggest risk uh, for the future is actually going to shift away from cars. Right now, the, um, the biggest share of our pollution is from cars and trucks. Uh, but in the future, we expect cars are going to be uh, so clean that we'll actually have more pollution from the brakes on cars than we will from the exhaust oh, wow. on cars. Yeah. But, but our homes and our buildings are the next big challenge. You know, everyone has uh, a, a little, you know, pilot flame uh, burning in a, in a furnace and in a water heater all the time. And there's a Missions that are that come from that, and that's uh, figuring out how to make our homes efficient and clean uh, is is the next big challenge as we look to you know the next couple decades of, of clean air. What do you say to the guy that's got an old polluting car, and and his attitude is it's just one car. I'm not making that big of a, a dent in the air quality. What about the big polluters? Those are who we should go after. Well, well. First of all, I'd say the the big polluters we have gone after, okay, and so we haven't reduced their pollution. Um, and uh, I, you know, in Utah, our air is actually pretty clean most of the year. We have periods in the winter and in the summer when it gets uh, dirtier. And so, if you've got that older polluting car, you know, I just plead with you: just don't drive it during those. <laughs> right. those you know, when we're in an inversion or when when we have a high pressure zone parked over us in the summer, and see see if you can't drive another vehicle that you own or something. And I would think that this move towards remote working is going to help as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you mentioned, during the pandemic, we saw uh, we saw some big shifts and, uh, I, you know, people always need to, to use their cars and go out, you know, to, to whether it's going to the grocery store uh, or, you know, dropping kids off at school and things like that. I and mean, people are always going to use cars. The other big thing that we could do that would help is is to make it easier for people to get around without cars. And that comes to, you know, how we design our communities are, you know, is it uh, is it easy to walk to school or to walk to church or to walk to the mm-hmm. grocery store or, or can you bike safely and uh, and do th- things like that. You know, all of those little things will add up and help uh, make our air cleaner. One that I'm fascinated with is the whole point of the mountain issue. Uh, we've now moved all the prisoners out of the prison. They're in the new prison. We're going to start seeing stuff happen at point of the mountain. To me, that seems like that would be a tough issue to take on because there's got to be so many different opinions out there as far as what we should do in that area. Is that what you found? Uh, actually, so so be- before... So the legislature recently created the, a, a land authority to figure out what to do with the prison site itself. And a few years before they did that, they created uh, an entity to look at the larger area, and they asked us to help them look at it. And so we, we engaged the public, and, and we found some pretty strong consensus about oh, good. about what they wanted to, to see in the in the area. And, and that was um, – you know we find this in a lot of our projects. They wanted uh, – what we refer to as mixed use centers. So these are these are uh, downtown type of areas. So think think of the main streets we used to build in our pioneer communities, mm-hmm. um, where you have you might have some shopping, some jobs, some housing, all in a little compact area that's walkable. Uh, so uh, more of those in that area. And and when you model that, what it does for transportation and other things, it's it's tremendous. Uh, and th- that's what we heard from people. And they can be at any scale, right? It could be a, a ninth and ninth is an example of sure, a yeah. small scale of that yeah. or downtown Salt Lake at a huge scale, right? Yeah. So um, I think the state's moving forward to plan something like that on the prison site. 
but we we also need it elsewhere in that area, other kinds of little downtown areas, and that that'll be it'll it'll turn out well. It'll reduce driving, and it'll make life more convenient for everybody. I'm excited about that. I grew up in Utah County, and so my whole life driving around the point of the mountain, the first thing you see is that ugly prison. And I remember being ugly when I was a kid, so it's been ugly for a really long time. So I think it's great that we're getting that out of there, and, and we're going to put some some more beautiful stuff there. How is your organization funded? Where where does most of the funding come from? Uh, most of our funding comes from uh, local foundations. Um, so like uh, the George S. and Dolores Story Eccles Foundation has been our largest funder for a number of years. Um, and then as well as large businesses like the, the Zions Banks of the World, Rio Tinto, those those sorts of folks. Um, and then occasionally we'll go after a, a government contract for a planning project that we think is pretty compelling. I saw on your website you have a podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. And uh, what we do is is try and uh, go through all of the, the issues that we've talked about and, and more. And uh, we we want the podcast to be uh, sort of a way for Utahns to understand everything uh, that that we think they need to or should understand about these issues. So, for instance, we we did a real deep dive in air uh, into air quality and into water and disaster resilience and housing, uh, and uh, you know, really trying to help Utahns understand what what's the the lay of the land on those issues here, uh, and and think about what are the big challenges for the future and what are we going to need to do uh, to make sure we have a bright future uh, in regards to any of those issues. How can individuals get involved? What's the best way for a single person to to make a difference? Well, the first thing I'd suggest is go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and then you'll you'll learn about our projects as we go along. Um, and you can go dig around our website. There's there's a lot of great stuff there from years and years of projects and different findings and so on. And then based on what you learn, just go get involved. Go attend your city council meeting. Talk to your city councilor, whatever it is. I got to tell you, the website's very easy to get around, and there's just so much information. And I got kind of lost in there today going down – you know, deep dives on things. Uh, EnvisionUtah.org is the website. Where do you see your organization, say, a decade from now? Uh, well, I, I I hope a decade from now we're doing a lot of the same kinds of things that, that we're doing, but just uh, having made a lot of progress right. uh, on, on certain issues. So there's, there's always going to be a need for us to look uh, to the future and to be proactive about thinking through the problems that there are uh, and, and finding solutions to those problems and challenges. And that's really – you know what we like to do is to to think about the future and say, okay, what 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 are the big things that we need to solve, and then we try and bring the public, bring other you know leaders together to solve those problems. Well, it's fascinating work that you're doing, and I had such a great time digging into your website today and and digging into this information. Ari Bruning, who is the CEO, and Jason Brown, who is VP of Communications. EnvisionUtah.org is the website. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com. 